Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. We're just getting all educated during the breaks here. Playing World Cup Geography. Denmark and Tunisia next on the pitch. Now, Denmark's kind of a sleeper, it sounds like, in this tournament. Really? Some people are high on them. Tenth in the world. You know what I always get confused? Okay, so Denmark is... I always get this confused. The Dutch is Holland, but Denmark is Danish, right? Correct. So that's Denmark. Did you say they're a sleeper? Because they, they, they all have Danishes in the morning. Wakes them up, right? They have a Danish for breakfast. And in my opinion, that sucked. Do we have the, and I know that we need to talk about the Pacers and the Colts, understandably, but do we have the radio call from Saudi Arabia? And if those of you who are just getting in the car or just waking up in the World Cup, um, Saudi Arabia, I mean, locally it was, Mark and I looked it up, it was like 2.30 in the afternoon in Qatar, but here in the United States it was just before 7 o'clock or right around 7 when the game ended. But Saudi Arabia defeating Argentina in opening round play for them in the World Cup, which is a major, major upset. And this is the radio call from, do we know what station this is from? Uh, KWBR. I don't know. How would I know? <laughs> this is, <laughs> is, this the, is this the Saudi radio network? <laughs> sure. The BBC. Johnson and Holmes on the morning. Excuse me? I'm saying that's probably their morning show that runs in Saudi Arabia. Okay. Sports radio. Uh, this is the Saudi Arabian radio network brought to you by uh, DraftKings, I believe. Here we go. This is their call of the radio of the soccer win. Fellas excited. Now was that a goal call or is that that was the that was the go ahead that was the second goal of the game and so it was in the fifty third minute. Do you want to know a skill that I have? Did the backflip and everything. I'm not much of a yodeler. I can't yodel, but I can do a goal call for like thirty five straight seconds. Oh well, I, we're gonna have to hear that at some point. Do, in the do World we Cup. have to hear it? I don't know if we have to hear <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, well, I mean we're gonna that'll be at nine forty five, leading into like can it the be final at 10.02? I could, in all honesty, if I did if I started right now, I could do it until almost nine forty five. It's impressive. I mean, people are like... Now I that I think about it, Mark, yeah, that sounds People stop me in the gym and stuff, and they're like, can you do your goal call? I'm like, That's sure. ears bleeding. We've had eyes bleeding watching the Colts this season offensively. That's ears bleeding. Well, I'm just telling you. They're, I mean, it's dulcet tones, really. And you get it for like 30 straight seconds. Uh, Jeff Saturday Zoom yesterday to recap things at the Eagles. I thought for the first time in two weeks, he kind of looked a bit dejected. Really? You know, just... I think your first loss, you just naturally have that of like, oh man, that could have been something, you know, pretty special. If you finish off that game, you're the talk of the NFL all week long. They were talking about you last night on Monday Night Countdown. You're still in the playoff race, in the realistic playoff race, I should throw in there. Um, yeah, I just thought he looked a tad dejected. You know, I've talked to a couple of people who have said, having nothing to do with Jeff Saturday's experience level or skill set or acumen or anything like that 
I, I think that there were a lot of people within football circles, Kevin, that when Jeff Saturday got the head coaching job of the Colts on the interim level, there were a lot of people that were like, he's not ready for this. This is ridiculous. And then there were those of us, myself included, that were like, look, he has kind of an it factor. And it's you take a look at it and you see. And when people talked about the experience level necessary to become a head coach in the NFL, he's never coached in college, he's never coached professionally, he's never been an assistant, those kinds of narratives. And in some cases, Bill Cower, it came off as very boorish, a little bit xenophobic, um, kind of as I had mentioned. You know, they were upset that somebody was interrupting their good old boy fraternity. But I think what a lot of those people, Kevin, were saying, if you really sifted through it, was, look, it has nothing to do with us liking him as a person or questioning his football IQ, but rather it is such an emotional and time-draining commitment of round-the-clock constant scrutiny and work and effort that goes into it. It's just going to be very difficult for somebody who has not been ingrained in that or worked their way up to that point to be able to psychologically deal with everything that goes in to the day-to-day operations of an NFL coach. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm telling you I think that's what if you really sort through the BS and the noise, I think that's what they were saying. And perhaps what you saw yesterday, not to to exonerate those thoughts, but perhaps what you saw yesterday was indeed, maybe for the first time, you know, kind of the the newness of the iPhone. When you get a brand new iPhone and it's like it's perfect, right? It's like pristine. You're like, oh my gosh, look at this thing. Like there's not a scratch on it. There's no smudge. And it'll never look that way again. As soon as you start getting those first thumbprints on it, then it just the luster kind of goes away. Maybe for the first time, Jeff Saturday realized that you're never going to have that shininess of the iPhone again, and and some of those things are starting to weigh on him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and you know, from a scrutiny standpoint, and again, they've led for seven of eight quarters under Jeff Saturday. I don't want to, you know, make this more than it is. Um, but when you have the scrutiny as a player, you can handle it with your own individual play. As a coach, some of it's out of your control. And I think that is something that can be difficult um, for coaches to kind of work through. The other thing I thought about yesterday is just how much of a shame it is, and it will be, I guess, if the Colts do indeed miss the playoffs, for how well they've played defensively. You know, you, you look at what they did to Philly, you look at what they did to Kansas City. I mean, those are two of the best offenses in the NFL. And I thought one of the kind of knocks on the Matt Eberflus era was good Colts defense. When they played good offenses, they resorted to a subpar defense, below average defense. Well, you look at what the Gus Bradley unit has done against Philly, holding them to a season low 17 points. Against Kansas City, holding them to a season low 17 points. That's a big step forward for a defense that is missing Shaquille Leonard. I mean, a guy that you thought would be in your defense. It's not like Shaquille Leonard walked in free agency and you had six months to try and find his replacement. Um, you thought he would be there, and he hasn't been there. And I think that's a really important stride for this defense that it's taken under Gus Bradley. Sure, they're not taking the ball away at maybe the level you would like. Um, it's pretty impressive they've played this good a defense without kind of a dominant pass rusher off the edge. And again, not having Leonard. And yet, they have given you January-level play. Whereas the offense has given you 
like XFL level play. Kevin, I, I, I Kevin, I'm almost hesitant to say this because I don't want to be a yo-yo, even though, even though I'm certainly a yo-yo at times. I thought it was very peculiar. I didn't understand really the timing of it when they went to Sam Ellinger. I thought they went to him too early and kind of threw in the towel on the year. We've gone over that a million times. But are they at the point now where – or are they inching closer, Kevin, to the point where this offense has been so – has fallen so short? Are they getting close to the point here where with one or two more losses, then you just say, you know what, it is about just seeing what we have. And just moving forward because they're going to have to address the quarterback situation. And no matter how good things look right now with this roster, with this team, it's basically time to blow it up. Yeah, in your eyes, in my eyes, it makes sense. But I don't think in Jim Mercer and Jeff Saturday's eyes, they, they, they view it like that. For this season, you mean? Right. Then here's the thing, though. Next year, they got to blow the whole thing up. I mean, that... They're going to be in for a rude awakening, right? Because next year, who is your starting quarterback next year in week one? Or I guess a better question would be, who is your starting quarterback in week one two years from now? At some point, you have to have the guy that's going to right. be, oh, yeah. that you hope is your five-year quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you have to make that And commitment. maybe that's Sam Ellinger. Okay, sure, fine, no, whatever. No, no, no. Right. No. So, Which means you've got to go draft or you've got to go trade for a young quarterback and go back to a Carson Wentz situation where you're getting a guy that you think is the guy. But either way, it sets you back a year to two years. Period. Kicking the can down the road, which yeah, that's they've exact- been prone to do. Right. What does that phrase mean? I know what it means, but what does it come from? Kicking the can down the road? As opposed to what? Just like picking it up? By picking it up and throwing it away. Yeah. Instead of just picking it up, tossing it out, you're like, ah, kick it a little farther. A couple more blocks. But eventually, you've got to pick it up and throw it away. You, you know have that, to. Right? You can kick it to the next person. There, Gary, you take care of it. A couple other Saturday Gary? notes from yesterday. Yeah. Uh, no offensive line changes. Um, why Gary? People why not? were questioning why Jonathan Taylor was not used late in the game. Randy? Um, Jeff Saturday said that him and Scotty Montgomery decided before the game Deion Jackson would be in that Naheem Hines third down roll. I know Taylor struggled in pass protection at times. Zach Moss, the new guy from Buffalo, that's supposed to, supposedly his strength. I felt like Jackson got run over too. Deion Jackson, they used late, right? <laughs> and again, used to. Was there? Have you ever seen a softer fourth and twenty-one attempt than that one? You knew who was a good third down short yardage out of the backfield back for the Colts back when they had. Curtis Dickey, they would put McMillan in. Do you know his first name, Mark? Gary? That'd be Randy. Oh. <laughs> was worth a shot. But do you know who the quarterback was that was throwing to him? Hogaboom. You know his first name? Gary. Yes, thank you. Greg Rakestraw, <laughs> he joins us next to talk circle. a little bit of everything. State finals, some soccer, some Colts. Rake joins us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Next. I'm not sure if anyone has a busier week than our next guest. You probably could say that about a lot of weeks out of the year, but this one's got to be atop the list. He is Greg Rakestraw, and I guess he's kind of our soccer 
expert, so we certainly have to get his thoughts on yesterday and the upset. Did I see the biggest upset in World Cup history? Pretty much. They're a miracle on ice. Gambling standpoint this morning, Saudi Arabia over Argentina. Rake, let's begin with your week. Lay out your schedule for us. State finals, Colts, I'm sure you're doing Marion volleyball or something like that. Not as crazy as you would think. So I've got Carmel Zionsville hoops tonight. 6A state final Saturday night, or Friday night. 5A state final Saturday night. I'll mix in uh, a couple of girls' basketball games over in Brownsburg uh, Saturday morning, early afternoon. And Sunday afternoon, there might be a college basketball game in my future. That is, we have like like a 60-hour period without doing a broadcast. And I do have Soccer Saturday World Cup edition Saturday morning at 9 a.m., Right here on the fan. So wait, so your phone broke up just a second there. The college basketball game would theoretically be what? Sunday afternoon and uh, and TBD because I'm 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 fifty fifty whether I'm doing the game or not. So we'll see. Now with the six A game, and I want to make sure that I have this correct. That is Fort Wayne Carroll and Hamilton South, or uh, excuse me, Center Grove. Fort Wayne Carroll beat. Um, HSC last week. Brad wanted me to mention, and I kind of forgot this angle to it, Rake. The Fort Wayne Carroll, it was their quarterback who passed this summer due to cancer? That is correct. A uh, young man named Owen Sheely, um, and, and it was remarkably sudden. Uh, he died of leukemia. Basically, he was diagnosed on a Sunday and passed away on Tuesday. Oh my God. Uh, he was starting to you know feel ill towards the end of, of the school year. They didn't exactly know why. Uh, he was flown down to Indianapolis, and it was determined at that time that he had advanced leukemia, and, and he passed away some 48 hours later. So there's a, an amazing amount of symmetry. Name was Owen. He wore number 13. Carroll's 13-0 and 0 going into this championship game. They thought they would be good, but this has been kind of a, a unifying factor for them. So it is the first Fort Wayne 6A team. This is just the 10th year of 6A. But the first of the larger schools in the Fort Wayne area to make it down here for a state championship game. And obviously they're playing for a, a higher cause uh, coming into Friday night's game. Brad mentioned that their colors are white and blue as a school, but they will be wearing orange for Owen. on is that That's Friday night? That is the Friday night game. So 2, 4, and 6 are Friday. 1, 3, and 5 are Saturday. You know... Greg, typically when the teams from the northern part of the state come down here for the state finals in the big school, you know, 5A in the old days, 6A now, you know, a lot of times the schools from Indianapolis, just based on the week-in, week-out competition, seemingly have an advantage, whether it be a Ben Davis or a Warren taking on, say, Mishawaka Penn or Fort Wayne Snyder over the years. In this situation, Center Grove's 11-2. and Carroll, and it's a great story. You almost feel bad for Center Grove if they were to beat him because it's such a great story. But, um, you know, the side story aside, which is a great one, but who is the on the field between the lines favorite between a 13 0 Carroll and 11 2 Center Grove? It's Center Grove. Um, and, and again, it's because of the level of competition they have played. Now, I, I think that difference is less this year than it has been in previous years just because there has not been that great or dominant team in 6A. And again, this is not Center Grove of the last two or three years that had just so many generational talents and kids that are playing at Ohio State or 
or, or, or Tennessee or Michigan State or Minnesota because of, of the, you know, just ridiculous amount of Division One commitments that Senator Grove's had the last couple of years. This team has won and Jalen Thomason, uh, who really is a defensive back, but because of injuries about him playing running back uh, for a good chunk of the year for Center Grove. Th- this Center Grove story is, is is special in its own way uh, because these are largely the kids that were backups the last couple of years. These are the kids that have had the benefit of getting five extra practices each of the last three years uh, because of making the last three state championship games, not just five extra practices, five extra weeks of practice. I should say. And they are kids that are simply unfamiliar with the concept of losing because of how good this program has been the last two or three years. But from a talent disparity standpoint, there is not the huge gap from, say, the best team in Indianapolis versus the best team from outside of Indianapolis. That gap isn't as big as it as it normally would be. Okay, Greg Regstraw, he is with us. He's going to have some calls coming up for the IHSA State Finals. You'll obviously hear him late, late, probably the wee hours, honestly, a Tuesday morning, coming up um, a week from yesterday with the Colts and the Steelers playing on Monday Night Football. The nightcap on Saturday, I love to see Whiteland in it. The Valpo finish with Fort Wayne Snyder looked crazy in that 5A. Um, I guess when you look at Friday's schedule, you look at Saturday's schedule, Rake, uh, the best game or the most competitive game you're expecting on each of those days? The great thing is, I think we're seeing a lot of competitive games. Um, again, I, you know, the, the teams that, you know, there, there was never going to be a, 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 a dominant 5A team this year. At least I didn't think there was going to be because of who vacated the division. You know, New Pal dropped back down to 4A. Cathedral and Zionsville both bumped up to 6A. And so that has kind of opened the door in 5A. I think a lot of folks, as the season went along, that was going to be Whiteland and Merrillville or Whiteland and, and Fort Wayne Snyder. Well, the team that knocked out those last two teams that I mentioned, of course, would be Valparaiso. And they'd be the first to tell you they thought that this was going to be a little bit of a transitional year for them. They've, they've got a, a younger football team, but they've had some consistent runs of success that have put them there. In 4A, people thought it would be New Pal or Ron Colley. Well, no, it's East Central. Uh, and, and they've got a couple of Division One talents in their backfield in Josh Ringer and Ryan Brotherton, who are both are probably going to play other positions once they get to college. Uh, Brotherton's 6'4", 195. Ringer's about 6'2", about a buck 85. But they are kids that are simply great athletes at this level, and they give them the football routinely, and they go make great things happen. They also have just a great tradition and, and a very good offensive line. East Central's the favorite in 4A. You know, in, in 3A, anytime Chittard's in 3A, they're the favorite. Again, they're solid. They're really good defensively. But frankly, Lawrence Bird plays in kind of a similar style as they do. I think that game to be close. That, and the 1A and 2A games are absolute rematches from last year with Andrean in modern day, with Adam Central and, and Lutheran. And, Kevin, the best game might just be that 1A game. It was a great game last year. Yeah, I remember that I being a great be game. I wouldn't be surprised if it plays out in a similar fashion the second time around in terms of going down to the absolute last minute. And Mr. Football is my cousin from Andrean? Exactly. Uh, hit him up for season tickets now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Drake Bowen appears to be the, the favorite. Again, name recognition, where he's going to school. And again, just not that year we're in 5A or 6A, you know, you know, where you have those guys that made the state finals. They're going to be playing an extremely high level of football. You know, Bowen's got the highest Q rating uh, of any of those guys. I think he's Mr. Football. And he's what position, Greg? 
uh, plays a little linebacker, plays a little running back. At that level, you just give you, you, he's going to go make plays for you. Kind of like Jack Kaiser, who also is now at Notre Dame from Pioneer three and four years ago, yeah. where Jack was the safety, Jack was the running back, Jack was whatever you're going to put him as. Bowen's kind of the same way. I was, I, I was thinking Jalen Smith, too, from his days at Lures. Yep. Was Jack yep. Kaiser the one that won Mr. Football over David Bell? That is correct. And again, um, the, the more egregious error – I thought in, in that grouping was that George Karloftis, funny, I wonder how things played out for him, wasn't even one of the finalists for Mr. Football. You know, that was that year where we had three guys that I thought were Sunday players. And Kaiser hasn't gotten there yet, but, you know, David Bell's going to play in the NFL in his third round pick. George Karloftis is going to play in the NFL. He was the 30th overall pick. The fact that he wasn't a finalist was a much more egregious problem than Jack Kaiser winning over David Bell. Gotcha. All right, Rake, shifting gears to yesterday's match, um, it felt like the United States was holding on for dear life the entire second half, just waiting for the final whistle. Give us your soccer opinion on the match itself and what this means for the U.S. in their group. Well, going into the match, I thought they had to get a draw, and and so – you told me beforehand, hey, they're going to play the 1-1 draw. I say, hey, that's, that's probably good enough or are about to be expected. Given how well they played in the first half, it was a draw that felt like a loss. It felt like a missed opportunity. Because, yes, they were chasing the game for the United States in half number two. But if it were not for a mistake and what was a clear penalty on Walker Zimmerman, um, the U.S. wins that game. Because Wales, even though they controlled possession in the second half, really only created two or three great chances. And, and Matt Turner only had to make one spectacular save in yesterday's game. So the first 45 minutes were better than I thought I'd see the U.S. play. And, and Tim Way had a tremendous goal on a great ball from Christian Pulisic. So when you play that well in half number one, you don't replicate that in half number two. You go, ah, missed opportunity there. But again, at the end of the day, the draw may be enough. Now it puts a little more pressure on you to get a draw with England. But there is even still a scenario where you can lose to England, beat Iran in the final, and depending on what happens with Wales, you're potentially going on to the, to the knockout round, the round of 16. And frankly, that has always been, that's usually the, the bar of acceptance for what the U.S. can do in a World Cup. You know, in those years they make it. Uh, is to get out of the, get out of a group, and there is still a path to do that after the first match for USA. Hey, Rake, how old are your two children? My two children are eleven and eight. Okay, so, and I I don't want I'm saying I'm asking this for me actually, um, and I don't mean this to be condescending to the maybe it's the majority of our listening audience who are diehard soccer fans. I know obviously a lot of people listening have kids playing soccer. I get it. But for those that are not diehards that watch every four years or whatever it is when the World Cup comes around, like myself, okay, um, can you explain to me as if you were explaining to your two kids in 30 seconds or less what I should be looking for in a match of the World Cup that tells me that one team, aside from the score, is doing what they are supposed to be doing to be dominating a match? Possession. And creating scoring chances. You know, soccer is the toughest sport and probably last sport to embrace the analytics revolution just because you've got so many 
mitigating factors and 22 players going in 22 different directions. Um, but the stat that gets trotted out, and frankly, I don't go very stat-driven or stat-heavy when I do a soccer broadcast, but the, 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 the analytics that, that can be used to the greatest degree is a phrase called expected goals. In other words, this pass, this shot led to the most expected goals. You may have won the match 2-1, to one, but maybe you were expected to only score a half a goal. I mean, you score three goals. So shots taken, shots on target, and, and not even completed passes, but just kind of possession and where that possession takes place. Those are the things you can watch, which is why in the first half, U.S. dominated possession. I think their pass completion rate was 90%. And again, those are just things to back up what your eyes tell you when you go, man, we look good. We were complete. We were, we were controlling. We were dictating tempo. Yeah. We were the ones that were in control of that match. So, and you saw it in, in half number two. We looked like we were chasing them the so entire time. At this second. level, Greg, when you get into the top level of soccer in the world, which is the rarer, if you will, skill set to possess as a team? Elite level wings or scoring opportunity players, or elite level defenders in the midfield that prohibit people from getting scoring chances. It's, it's always about those. You, you can you can scheme up defensively. You can play in a shell defensively. There are better defenders spread around the world than guys who are just magicians. Gotcha. There's only one. There's only one Messi. There's only one Ronaldo. You know, now it's it's a player like Erling Holland, of course, who plays his so, club soccer. So there's a reason that those are the names we know, right? Right. Gotcha. It, it is it is much tougher to find those guys that are just you know seemingly clinical finishers and guys that put it away virtually every time they touch it. It's not just because we pay more attention to offense and defense. There are fewer of those guys on offense. Rick, I was thoroughly entertained by the one-one game yesterday. I mean, yeah, it was a tale of two halves, but and maybe there weren't tons and tons of like on-target chances. But I felt like there was a lot of pressure being applied by the U.S. in the first half, by Wales in the second half. But like any, I think, person that doesn't pay gobs and gobs of attention to soccer throughout, you know, a, a four-year cycle, the amount of guys on the ground and how the referee handles that is very confusing to me so as best you can like what defines a guy being on the ground and the other team knocking the ball out of bounds because that player is injured and like how does the ref go about handing out a yellow card in that situation or stopping play that to me has so much gray area in it and I'm very confused uh there's a lot of gray in the sport period uh and so that tends to lead to that Secondarily, um, I wouldn't exactly look to yesterday's matches as an officiating clinic in soccer. Um, I'm not saying it cost the U.S. the match because the penalty was absolutely justified. Zimmerman just played straight through Gareth Bale, and Bale, being kind of the wise old dude that he is now, drew that you know, positioned himself to draw a penalty, knowing we weren't creating many chances in run of play. And, and to Bale's credit, drew the penalty and then absolutely smoked the penalty. Turner guessed right and even got a hand on it, but still could do nothing yeah, that was uh, to stop the shot from Bale from the spot. Um, from, but again, it wasn't a well-officiated match, period. I thought there were too many cards handed out early that didn't deserve cards. But the other thing you got to consider, too, is that most of these guys have been playing in Europe. Temperature's a little bit different uh, in terms of guys cramping up, guys getting hurt. 
And it's also two teams in both the U.S. and Wales that largely are going to rely on what they can do defensively. In other words, meaning was kind of a stalemate, and both these two teams pretty physical defensively. In other words, they're going to literally kick the crap out of each other uh, at times. And so that's why yesterday's match had a bit more physicality to it than, than say, some of the other matches you'll watch in the course of a given World Cup. So it was a, it was a combination of factors. Again, the great Greg Rakestraw is with us covering a lot of topics. We'll shift gears again to Saturday afternoon, 3.30 kick down in Bloomington. That's the bucket game. Uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Rake. You think there should be any desire to move the bucket game off Thanksgiving weekend? It would have to come from the schools telling the Big Ten to move it. Um, but traditionally, and I know some folks gripe about it here, and yes, it now makes you compete with the IHSA state finals. Um, but traditionally, your biggest rivalry game is going to be the last weekend of the season. Just that That's just the way it is. And in the last decade, ever since the Big Ten championship game rolled around, that, that last game has been moved from what was the weekend before Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving weekend. So if the two schools want it to happen, I'm sure they could petition the Big Ten, and the Big Ten can move it up a weekend. But then you would be playing somebody else that last weekend, and you'd probably, to some degree, upset kind of the, the normal order and balance of things. But then I also want Indiana and Purdue fans to think about whom they would end up playing that last weekend. Because everybody kind of partners up and has their rivalry game. You're not going to get Illinois or Northwestern and get, kind of get an easier game the last weekend of the season. You're not going to get Ohio State and Michigan. That's probably a good thing. But the schools you'd probably end up playing would be like Michigan State and Penn State because I think they're the only two teams that only have, that really have kind of that natural rival to play the last weekend of the season. They're kind of paired off with each other. So be careful what you wish for, IU and Purdue fans. You might get it. You're better off playing each other on Thanksgiving weekend. Rank in terms of shifting gears to the Colts, Greg Regstraw is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars hotline. Um, the way that that game went with Philadelphia, and to have it right there in the balance and then have everybody in the stadium see that Jalen Hurts ran all the way to Monument Circle untouched, Blue was the only person close to him. Was that? Do you take away from that, or do you believe the Colts take away from that game hey, look how close we were and things aren't as bad as one would seem, or is that, in fact, a reality-setting-in level loss where now the luster off of the, the changes and Jeff Saturday's energy and everything else come back down to earth a little bit and the Colts are finding themselves at a crossroads on the season? I think it's a reality check just because the the closeness of that game or the – Colts leading for a good chunk of it, um, that's what average teams do. There's not that big of a disparity between one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team in the league in Philadelphia, and a middle-of-the-pack or below-average team like the Colts. Let's go back to 2017, you know, the Kobe Brissett replacing Andrew Luck here. Colts had a lot of leads in those games. Colts really didn't get housed that much that year. They went 4-12. and and so, you know, you have to be really bad to be getting blown out, losing by two or three scores every week. Colts aren't doing that. So even though the Colts have got leads, what the good teams do is put those leads away. 
is finish football games. And now the last two home games, the Colts have had two score leads and low scoring games and found a way to lose them 17 16. Again, I think the Commanders aren't a bad football team. Uh, I think the Eagles are a really good football team. But again, I don't think it's, hey, we're competitive. No, it's, hey, we can't close this out. And that's a problem. You know, it's funny, Greg. This almost hurts to say it, but as time has gone on, the Commanders are probably the Colts of the NFC, right? Right. You know, I mean, and that's the reality. Like, we think of the Commanders as like, man, they're not really good at all. But then you go, well, I, that's probably Spider Man gift, right? I would say, I would say the Commanders are kind of like the 2019 Indianapolis Colts. Um, not a great team. Maybe at the end of the day, they're going to finish eight and nine, nine and eight. Are they a playoff team? Probably not. And that's because of the other teams that are in their division. They got to still go through a good chunk of those. And Dallas, uh, the Giants, I mean, maybe aren't as good as, as their record indicates. Uh, the Eagles clearly think a pretty good team. But, you know, uh, is Washington going to be a playoff team? Probably not. But is Washington better than we gave him credit for? Probably so. Right. I think back these last two home games, two score lead with Washington, two score lead with Philly, fourth quarter. Boy, good teams find a way to finish those yep. off. Uh, Rake, it's been a annual tradition for years now, listening to you on the call for a variety of state final games. Can't wait to do that on Friday and Saturday. And I appreciate you uh, bumping up your schedule a little bit earlier in the week for us. Of course, boys. Yeah, you guys have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you soon. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's pretty fitting. Got to be pretty cool for Michael Grady to, in his first year as the TV play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, they visit Indianapolis one time on that schedule, and that one time happens to be the night before Thanksgiving. One of the greats and obviously bright, bright stars in the industry. You've heard him on the Ease Airways for years. He is Michael Grady, and he's with us right now mg good morning and uh happy early thanksgiving to you happy early thanksgiving good to be on with you guys and uh no i really feel uh lucky with the schedule uh it worked out my first year in brooklyn too happened to come to indianapolis right around christmas and so i was able to be home for the holidays so someone's looking out for me uh and i appreciate it do you guys stay here sorry do you, you guys stay here wednesday night uh, yeah, we'll fly in today, and um, no, no, the team leaves Wednesday night, but I'll Got stay. It. The team, yeah, the team will leave after the game, but I'll stick around and catch up in Charlotte later. Nice. So do you feel more yeah. blessed that you are doing the Timberwolves now, one of the bright young teams in the NBA, or that you are not having to deal with the circus that is the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, you know what? It's, 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 t- it's tough. It's tough because the only thing I hated about Brooklyn was the non-basketball stuff. I mean, that was it. So, um, but everywhere I go, every time I, you know, see some of the, uh, you know, my colleagues around the league, you know, that's the first thing they say, like, man, you, you got out of there at the exact right time. And um, and there's truth to that because when you have that kind of talent on a roster, like Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, or Kyrie Irving, the last thing you want to be talking about is anti-Semitic comments or in the past few years, uh, the, the 
vaccination situation or before that, the other nonsense, you know, that was going on with the team. So, um, no, there's there's definitely uh, a sense of relief that I don't have to deal with that headache. But everything else about Brooklyn, absolutely love. Michael, let's talk about, you know, when you talk about the talent across the board, I mean, Minnesota has that. They're fascinating to me because obviously – Uh, You know, open disclaimer, it's not like I'm watching every Timberwolves game, but they're becoming a team that you are, no matter what, if you follow the NBA, you're hearing about them because they are a bright, rising team. And I'm intrigued by Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns because these are two really good young players. But sometimes you see, Michael, with teams that have two bright stars like that, late in games, they're kind of figuring out which one is the guy and which one is the supporting cast. Has that been in any way, shape, or form anything that they've had to kind of work through in Minnesota? And not just really between those two, Jake, but you have D'Angelo Russell, who is a a scoring point guard. And then you have Rudy Gobert, who no one is going to confuse with a Shaq or a big man who needs to rock in the post to score 25-30 a game. But he's still a big presence that, that gets open looks inside that needs his touches as well. And it just makes you well-rounded and opens up things on the perimeter because we know how much how important spacing is in the NBA. So not just Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, but there are other guys who their inclination is to eat on the offensive end as well. And so their big challenge as a unit is doing other things to sacrifice for each other. So if Anthony Edwards is looking out there trying to score, but Carl Anthony Towns is cooking, well, is Ant still cutting? Is he setting screens for his teammates? What is he doing off the ball to sacrifice for the greater good? Same thing for D'Angelo Russell. Same thing for Towns when he's not getting touches. And so that's been an evolution for this squad that was not pretty early in the season that's improved as the season has gone along. Have they had to massage through, Michael? You know, when you look at the Pacers, to use it in comparison for people here, I think when Turner and Sabonis were were playing together – to your point, the problem is they both were trying to kind of occupy the same space. For Minnesota, when you've got Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, do they play them? I mean, you know, both of them are at times on the floor together, but do they, I would imagine that frees Anthony Towns up a little bit to get away from the block where he can actually do some things in an offensive operating area, but have they done a good job of spacing those two out from one another? Yeah, and that's still going to be a work in progress. And so Towns really established himself, for those who didn't know, as one of the premier shooters in the NBA, even as a big man. Uh, He frustrates fans at times because he doesn't do enough damage on the block, but he's top-heavy. And so if you have a low center of gravity defensively, you can keep him from getting good low post position, and then you may force him into a tough shot. But his game is coming at you right downhill, and making a play on slow foot, big uh, you know, big men who are slow footed, and then on the out on the perimeter, you know, he pulls out you know big men and and, and knocks down perimeter shots. Meanwhile, Gobert is going to occupy the paint, step out for screens, good screen and roll big man. While Towns is a, is a uh, screen and pop kind of guy. So as far as spacing is concerned, it looked again atrocious in the early going. I mean, they had to really get back basics in terms of what they're doing both offensively and defensively but as it has progressed Towns and Gobert their chemistry 
has been arguably the best on the team. You would think D'Angelo Russell as point guard and Gobert would establish a nice chemistry and a pick-and-roll situation, but no one has contributed more to more Gobert baskets inside than Towns. He's been trying to feed him and give him good looks inside, and it's worked more often than not. So I give him a lot of credit there, but it's been a constant work in progress in terms of spacing, making sure guys are in good spots, making sure guys are still moving, cutting, staying active, even if they're not necessarily involved in the play, and then on the defensive end, trying to stay connected as well. So it's not pretty at times. There were stretches where their best lineup was actually small ball, but I see this working out. Uh, uh, far better than what we saw the you know the Sabonis and Turner thing work out during that during that short stint. That was unfortunately cut up quite a bit by by injuries, but nevertheless, um, this is a this is a different group and it's going to have its ups and downs. But but right now they seem to be finding some sort of a groove. You all know his voice. He is Michael Grady, and he's back with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline again. Winners of five straight: the Pacers versus. Grady's Timberwolves coming up tomorrow night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Um, MG, I kind of want to talk about the new gig and why Minnesota, why this, and was kind of an NBA TV play-by-play voice. Was that always you felt like the next step after the uh, Yes Network stuff with, with the Nets? Yeah, so the NBA TV stuff started a season ago, and I think it's I think being a part of the Turner family is a, is a, uh, is a big deal. You know, they've got their roster for TNT as far as play-by-play guys. Brian Anderson has been really good to me. Ian Eagle, who's been amazing to me, and Kevin Harlan, who's a former Timberwolves announcer. Those are their main three play-by-play guys on, on TNT. And then on the NBA TV, which is also under that Atlanta Turner umbrella, you know, they have Spiro Ditas, they have myself, and they work in a few other folks. Um, but that relationship has been amazing, um, working with Grant Hill and Dennis Scott on games, Brendan Haywood from time to time. Um, those guys have been amazing, and I want to continue to uh, continue to do that and, and massage that relationship. And um, it's been uh, mutually beneficial for sure. Um, and 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 Brooklyn, as I mentioned earlier with Jake, it's Brooklyn was Brooklyn will always be um, you know a second home. Uh, I loved it the way they embraced me to come from Indianapolis and then step to a place where you know I felt I had a you know a connection always. Love New York. You know, some people are L.A. got people. Some people are New York people. And I just like the pace of New York. And um, the way Brooklyn embraced me and my time there really meant a lot to me. Um, but in terms of career advancement, if I was comfortable being a sideline reporter um, for a, a long period of time or maybe even the rest of my career, then there's no better place, you know, to be. Um, you know, I've got colleagues who have been sideline reporters for for a really long time and really enjoyed it. Uh, Mike Trudell is a, is a terrific sideline reporter with the Lakers, and he's been doing it for a long time. And it's a, it's a sweet, sweet you know gig, you know, to be able. He's been covering Kobe, he's covering LeBron now. It's a sweet gig, but for me, um, you know, I knew at Warren Central High School that I wanted to do play by play, and I've enjoyed, and I'm really thankful to, for this. I've enjoyed every step along the way. Uh, from producing with Bob Lovell, doing scoreboard updates, or you know, you know, hosting uh, shows on radio, um, the the sports at RTV Six. Uh, I'm going to forget gigs because I had a lot of them, but everything that I was able to do, I thoroughly, you know, enjoyed, and I'm really appreciative for that. And despite, and even though I enjoyed everything. 
the goal was still to do play-by-play. And in the NBA, there's only 30 of these opportunities. Um, and so when my intention originally was to, you know, to return to Brooklyn on a short-term deal, but when Minnesota came and came strong and was able to talk to their people, um, you know, A-Rod and uh, who's in a management group and um, other higher-ups on the staff and on the Valley side, um, and then talking to my wife, it was it was a it was a no brainer um, uh, for me. I was hesitant at first. I didn't know a lot about Minnesota, the community, and then to leave from New York and go somewhere else is a big deal. But uh, I was just kind of you know reminded that this has been a long term dream of mine, and uh, I'm really really thankful and happy with the way things have turned out. Five years down the road, any ideas where you see yourself? Uh, still having fun. I, I, as long as I'm still having fun and, and, and living this dream of being able to call games at the highest level, um, I know that I'm going to be extremely, extremely happy. And, you know, this Thanksgiving week, I'll be, uh, continue to be thankful. So if five years, if I'm still, you know, hollering at the top of my <laughs> vocal capacity about spectacular plays, you know, um, within, within feet of, some of the best athletes in the world and trying to paint pictures with my words and, and, and riding the wave of the fans and, and the building, uh, then, I'll, then I'll definitely be in heaven, my man. What's the longest that somebody can go in walking around the Twin Cities or just spending a day in the Twin Cities without seeing a reference to Prince? Uh, you know what? I haven't, been, I haven't even been in Minneapolis long enough uh, to know, so I did the, <laughs> to to know that. So I don't think you can get very far uh, where I live. I'm I'm within a stone's throw of his uh, uh, First Avenue, a famous a famous music venue where he where he got his start. Um, not far from that, there's another Prince mural. But I haven't ventured out too much um, since I got this opportunity. I did the first three weeks of the NFL season, and then I arrived with all of my stuff uh, from New York. Um, on media day and then for media day the wolves were on the road the entire preseason except the last game and then we've been in season mode so i i still jake have a ton to explore i've explored a lot of restaurants because i like to eat um but, but in terms of uh in terms of going around and seeing the print stuff man I, his 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 name is brought up quite a bit, um, but it, I, I still have a ton to explore that I'm excited about uh, exploring for sure. Well, the good news right is... Now, right now, it's too damn cold. I was going to say, yeah. the, the good news for you is you don't have to explore till the off-season because that's when finally yeah. you get out from underneath like 20 below, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm learning about I'm learning about the cold, but um, uh, but yeah, I'll do more exploring when, I don't know, maybe April. April or April or May, and then I'll, I'll be able to walk around and answer that uh, answer that question. But it's already it's already a freeze here in uh, Minnesota. But I'm in, I'm embracing it. I'm embracing. It. I got the North Face, got all the coats ready, and uh, I'm good to go. MG, we'll end with this uh, from afar. Certainly, you'll see one of the surprises of the NBA season, or I guess you've seen him so far from afar tonight or tomorrow night. You'll see yep. him up close. Uh, just your thoughts on Miles Turner and the Pacers in the start. Yeah, you know, I um I say this uh, you know, affectionately. I have you know, a good relationship with Kevin, but he had an interview with Chris Haynes where he was talking about his his lineup. He said, you know, we've got I'm out there with Royce O'Neal, Yuta Watanabe, um, Eric Sumner, 
Um, I'm with all these guys. You know, what do you, what do you expect us to look like? And it was like, dang, like you really, you really said that. Uh, he's try, he's he's cleaned it up afterwards. Um, but when I look at this Pacers squad, um, I'm, I, I'm I just reflect on how important coaching is. And again, I was around Bob Lovell a long time. I've uh, been around other coaches, and I just when I see a, a coach making his mark on a team, um, I just I just smile. I this it's it's a cool thing in a day and age where we think of everything as being player driven to see a coach go out there with a game plan and coach up talented players and have them go out there and, and play really good, um, organized basketball. Um, the Pacers have talent, make no mistake about it. Watching Tyrese Halliburton and what he's doing with the rock and leading the NBA and assists, the joy that he plays with, the joy that the entire team plays with, with each other. Um, Benedict Matherin, I mean, he had some quotes in the, as, a, as he was drafted. I was there draft night. He had some quotes that was like, oh, my, oh my goodness, really? And I just, you know, not everybody talks like that, with that type of bravado. He said some things about LeBron. He said some other things. But that type of audacity – I, I, I know that from a Pacer fan perspective, you appreciate because a lot of us grew up with that with Reggie Miller. And so to see what he's doing early in his NBA career is special. You know, um, uh, Miles is playing well. There's so many different guys that are contributing. And so they absolutely have talent. Um, but I just, I just, the first thing that comes to mind, Kev, is just applauding the job that Rick Carlisle is uh, doing with the group um, because it's it's I mean it's really really cool so I'm looking forward to you know Wednesday looking forward to seeing old friends we because of the the pandemic um, I haven't you know been able to come to Indy for a Pacers game in, in a couple of years now so it's it's long overdue um, can't wait to, to uh, get there give a lot of people a hug Nancy Leonard a hug and um, enjoy this game because what is it? The Kings have the longest active winning streak now after the Celtics lost last night. Um, so Pacers have the second longest active winning streak, and the the Wolves have the third long, uh, third longest active winning streak. Really? So it'll be a fun it'll be a fun night. Yeah, it can be an awesome atmosphere. Always the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, a great game, and then a lot of storylines off of that. MG, congrats, man. I, I know I speak for a lot of people Thanks. in saying we are beyond happy for you and glad the schedule offers you an opportunity to see the family around Thanksgiving as well. So continue the best, uh, safe travels this entire season, and thanks for making time for us. Hey, appreciate you guys. You and your families have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks so much.